Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word and God's aid of glasses as well. Today, God's Word to us is from the book of Acts. It's all of chapter 3. Why are you complaining, Tim? You're sitting down. I, I, th- I, think, I think you're good. God's word to us today is a story, one of the first stories of the church of Jesus Christ expanding in power. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him, recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold us through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people, and you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. 
Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you away from your wicked ways. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with hearing, with understanding, and Lord, with the work of your spirit this day. May we too be drawn to the name of Jesus in repentance. May we too, Lord, be drawn to the name of Jesus and his authority over our lives so that we will yield the leadership of our hearts. We will yield our wills. We will, lead, we will yield the intentions and the desires that we have over to you. And we will submit ourselves entirely to you as Lord because you are Savior. Father God, I ask for those who are gathered in this room, in these moments, that your Holy Spirit would be at work among us to take your word and to teach and instruct each of us gathered here with what it is we need to hear from you this day. I know your spirit will be active, Lord, but help us listen, help us hear, and not let the distractions of the world or the things of our, our own hearts and minds get in the way, but Lord, may we hear from you. For those joining us online, now, or even at a later date, Lord, you know all, and I pray that your spirit will take this time in worship, this time in your word, and speak to each what is needed to hear. As always, Lord God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to speak, to work, to bring glory to yourself as Jesus, the name that is above every name. As Jesus, the only name under heaven given by which we can be saved. And the name of Jesus is lifted up high and we will look to him for all. It's in his name that we pray as your children, Father God. Amen. You may be seated. And a very special welcome to those who are joining with us for the first time today. So great to have you here at Oak Park. If you would please do us the honor of filling out a connection card, you could do so. There's one in the, one of the backs of the chairs in front of you. Or you can also do an online version if you just click on the bullet, the digital bulletin. Online stuff will take care of all of that. I also want to very say a very special welcome to those who are joining with us online today. So glad that you're a part of the Oak Park family. I want to give a very special welcome to Randy and Elijah, uh, who are hopefully watching us. At least that's what they're supposed to be doing uh, this morning. And uh, welcome, guys. Glad that you are with us as well. Uh, before we get into the message, we also have one other um, matter to take care of. Uh, a very dear, long-time uh, matriarch uh, of Oak Park uh, is uh, nearing the end of her journey, and that is Arlene Munson. Uh, she was placed on hospice uh, a few days ago, earlier this week, and uh, the time of her faith being made sight uh, is very close. And uh, Cheryl has asked us as uh, her church family uh, to pray for the transition to be quick, uh, to be smooth, and uh, for Arlene to enter into that time of glory. So would you please join me as we pray. Father God, so many of us here know and love Arlene so deeply, Lord. You have just blessed her life and her ministry um, in so many ways, Lord, and, and we are the recipients of that long-term, long-time faithfulness to you. 
Lord, as her body nears the end of its days, we know her soul is in your hands. We know her life is with you. But Lord, as this time of transition happens, we pray for an easing of pain and discomfort. We pray for a quickness of the end of the long suffering of, of, of her body. And Lord, may she be fully placed in your presence, experiencing all the reward, all the joy, all the grace, the mercy, the peace, the goodness, the happiness, the fulfillment that comes from knowing you and being in your presence. Lord, we pray for comfort for Ken, for Cheryl, for so many other family members and loved ones. Lord, whom were touched and led to a deeper faith because of how you worked in Arlene's life. These things we pray according to your mercy, your timing, your will, O oh Father God. Amen. So please be keeping the Amundsen family in prayer today. There is power in the name of Jesus. It's the power of the gospel. We've, we've recapped here the beginning of the church, the beginning of this new people of God, this new work of God in the world, which was the fulfillment of the prophecies from, from so ancient ago. <clears throat> in the last week, last two weeks, we've looked at the first gospel sermon and the first response to that sermon of people becoming believers in Jesus and what it meant, how their lives were radically changed. How, how they formed into a new community, this new community that is literally the hope of the world, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very first sermon ever preached by the Apostle Peter in the temple at Jerusalem culminated with these words that God has made this Jesus both, both Lord and Messiah, the two cornerstones of truth upon which our lives must be built. Jesus is Lord and if he is Lord, no one else, not even ourselves, can be. If he is Lord, nothing else is. Politics and power and culture and money and fame and prestige and autonomy and freedom and everything, nothing else can be Lord, only Jesus, because he is Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one sent to save, to redeem, to buy us back, to love us in spite of ourselves to forgive us even in that which we usually deem unforgivable. The very first gospel sermon had such an incredible response. The disciples were fulfilling Jesus' command to go and make disciples. It began with that sermon. That very first day, 3,000 people responded and Jesus' church was born, a new community Church means assembly or those who are called together. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that call of God extends to us. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. These were individuals who responded personally with faith. Yes, Jesus was not just the Lord, the Messiah. He was my Lord, my, my Messiah. There was an aspect of personal faith 
in accepting Jesus in that role and yielding to him. There was repentance, which was not just remorse or regret, but it was a being cut to the heart. It was acknowledging and accepting the guilt of rejecting Jesus in that time, but also accepting the guilt of why Jesus had to come in the first place, why Jesus had to die, because as sinners, we cannot save ourselves there is, the word self-help is an oxymoron anyway because help means assistance from the outside. So it's one of the weaknesses of the English language. There, there is no self-help. There is no self-salvation. Salvation is given to us. We are in need, so we have been given help by God the Father himself by sending God the Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. And repentance is acknowledging that. Those who responded with faith and repentance were baptized because baptism is the moment of union with the saving acts of Jesus. The crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that is reenacted in the act of baptism. So once we believe, once we repent, once we have that acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and Savior, we get baptized so that we can unite with Christ in his savings work, saving work. And it's that, it's that line of demarcation for us, and, and yes, even the mind of God, where the old has been made new, the dead has been made alive. That's what these people experienced. That's how the church was born. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, all for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's us. That's, that's we. We have been called into relationship with God the Father through faith in God the Son. We have then been called in together to fellowship with one another. As Jesus' people, this church. The old saying is, you can, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. That's why I take a look around. You didn't choose this. God chose you for it. So this is your family. We love one another's family. In this one day, the followers of Jesus went from numbering about 120 to thousands. As a pastor, this gives me a headache. As a pastor without the skills of organization and administration, please no comments from the congregation. As, as, as a pastor not skilled in that aspect of things, this is a logistical nightmare. Think about it for, for just a moment. There's, there's probably like around maybe 115, 110, whatever people in here this day. This, this, is, this is what would be the, the number of the followers of Jesus after his death, burial, and resurrection in, in the, before, before the church started. We have like 170-something seats set up in here. Now, could you imagine next week we had 3,000 that's why we went to digital bulletins. Yeah, you got to save paper and ink. No. That's how explosive the church grew. From this number to 3,000 in one day. 
And it didn't stop there. It's amazing to think about. This new formation, this new community that was formed because of this shared belief and this allegiance to Jesus as Savior and Messiah, or Savior and Lord, it was a daily reality. We see this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Church is never meant to be a Sunday morning only kind of thing. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus Sunday afternoons when your football team is playing and losing, such as mine did a couple of weeks ago. By the way, one note on that. Yes, today's fifth Sunday. We have our fifth Sunday fellowship meal after church. Begins at 11.30. Try to barbecue. Everybody's invited. We're going to be taking some time to to honor uh, those who volunteer and serve here at Oak Park. I have already been inundated with calls and texts about how long the barbecue is going to last because evidently the NFL is still going on even though it's completely irrelevant. Um, there's, There's a game at noon or something. We'll be out of the barbecue by 2, 2.30 at the latest, so don't worry about it. No, the barbecue will be about an hour. You're only going to miss the first quarter, and you'll, you'll live. And I'm sure there's some people who will have it on their phones uh, during the barbecue, and have already, we've, we've already given a free pass for that. We help people with their idolatry. We accept people where they are. It's okay. And yes, for the record, if the Seahawks were playing, it would be on the big screen during the barbecue. Just, just so we're clear on that. But it's a daily reality. We're disciples Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoons and Monday mornings at work. We are disciples Friday night when it's the time to, to celebrate or to blow off steam or to, to whatever for the end of the week. Being a disciple of Jesus is a daily new reality. We're disciples wherever we are, wherever we go, whatever we're doing, because we have been called into that kind of life and that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the disciples, the apostles, as they were beginning to organize and administrate this this massive new influx of people, what did they do? They still did what they normally did. Peter and John are going to the temple. They're going to the temple in their normal prayer time, the afternoon prayers, three o'clock, which is what good Jewish people did. So they're going to the temple. They're they're maintaining the, the, the rhythms, the routines, the rituals. But this time they're going to the, the temple. With the, with the understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Jewish people have longed for and worshiped for and looked for for thousands of years. And as they're going, as they're right getting it ready to enter into the temple through one of the, this is one of the massive, beautiful gates that uh, lined the temple, there's a man who was begging. A man who was lame from birth which means his legs didn't work. He had never walked. 
one of the harsher realities just of, of Judaism, at least scripturally-based Judaism at this time, is that as a man whose legs did not work, he would not be allowed in the temple for worship. They had very strict rules from the scriptures themselves that the lame, the blind, the infirmed, the deformed, those with, with, with physical disabilities were actually not allowed in the temple for worship. They were kept outside. They were to receive grace and mercy and care and compassion and help and assistance, but they weren't allowed in to worship. They were outcasts religiously. And one of the most amazing things about Jesus' ministry is Jesus' ministry, if you read through the Gospels, he spent a lot of time with those people who were not allowed into the temple for proper worship. And Jesus even said, they're the reason he came as Messiah. The blind would see, the lame would walk, the oppressed would be set free. It was the core reason he came as the Messiah. We read later in chapter 4, this man was, was 40 years old. He exceeded the average life expectancy of a first century male by almost 10 years. For 40 years, his legs did not work. He had never walked. He had survived. A subs his subsistence came from the generosity of strangers those motivated by their religious faith in God to, to give grace and extend mercy to him. And evidently he did have family and possibly still uh, some, uh, some, he had family and he definitely had loyal friends, we know that, because he had to be carried to that gate every day. And that's some pretty loyal friends. They took him there every day. And this story parallels a story from the Gospels, perhaps you may remember it. Jesus was teaching, he was, in a, he was in a home, and there was people there listening, and the crowd was so big that, that a man who was on, on a, basically on a, on a stretcher, on a mat, his friends had brought him to Jesus to be healed, but they couldn't get through the crowd. So they go around the side, they take the back stairs up to the roof of the house, and they, they break through the roof, and they, they lower the man down through the roof right at the feet of Jesus as he's teaching. He too was, was lame. And Jesus used that, that moment to teach a very important truth about himself. Yes, he was, a, he, was a, he was a healer and a miracle worker. And Jesus could just snap his fingers, give the look, say the words, whatever it was, just a gentle touch, the man would be healed. But, but in that moment, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the guy says, that's great, Jesus. Here for something else, but Thanks. We'll just, we'll just tuck that away and use that for later. And as soon as Jesus said that, everybody erupts with, with concern, consternation. They're dumbfounded. It's like, who can talk? God, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, yes, you're right. So what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise, take up your mat, and go home. And the guy did. Jesus proves his power and authority as the Son of God to forgive sins. Proven with a physical act was his spiritual power. Now we come to the birth of the church. 
Jesus has ascended back into heaven, so now it's up to the, 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 the 12 apostles to carry on the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, the forming of the people of Jesus, the church. And this story parallels that miracle from Jesus. Peter's answer to the man is one of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture. And there's these, these little, little subtle things in the text that, that mean so much for us today as well. Even if we don't have the power to heal, Peter and John looked at him. They looked at him directly. They gazed intently. Then they commanded him to look back at them. It's an affirmation of dignity. Typically, those who begged did not make eye contact. They kept their head down. They stared at the ground. It's a posture of pity. It's a posture of disgrace. It's a posture of humility. It's basically, please help. I am not worthy. And James or Peter and John say, look at us. Because we're looking at you. They looked him directly in the eye. It's a sign of an affirmation of his humanity and his dignity. In the healing, Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Only two times in all of Scripture is that fullness of Jesus' title used here and later in chapter 4. It's in the name of Jesus where the power is found. The name represents the power and the authority of the person. Right after this, Peter makes it very clear that he does not have the power to heal, nor does John. Yes, the apostles were given the gift of healing, but the power was not theirs. The power solely comes through Jesus they're very clear about that. You see, Jesus is the name that is above every name. Jesus is the name because there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The story goes on. It's a little bit subtle, and the English translations are actually pretty, pretty gentle in this. Peter and John look at the man. The man looks at them. Peter commands him to, to walk. Then Peter reaches out his hand, and as the text says, lifted him up. It's actually Peter yanked him up. Now see, in, in the Scriptures, we have Jesus, when he laid hands on people for healing, it's just this picture of, of, of just almost beauty and tenderness and gentleness. You know, and you can see that from Jesus, Right? But we also see in the Gospels Peter. Peter, a little bit more impetuous, a little bit more oafish, so to speak. Evidently, he was a larger man. Uh, he was a little bit more brazen. He was a man of action. So his basic response to this seems to be, get up now, and yanks him up. Not exactly the tenderness and gentleness of Jesus, but effective nonetheless. The man is able to stand. It's that power of physical touch that is so important in giving dignity and care and compassion to those who are broken and those who are hurting. And Luke, the author, being a medical doctor, he actually uses 
the, the, the common medical terminology for, for strength coming back in to the, to the legs and to the ankles and to the feet. He just couldn't help himself, being a doctor, to, to show off a little bit of his jargon. Just adds to the authenticity. Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So what about us? We see in the book of Acts and elsewhere in the scriptures that it was specifically the apostles, the 12 apostles who were given these miraculous abilities by the Holy Spirit to do signs and wonders, including things such as healing. Now, the New Testament does give us a few snippets, a few insights that other people did have the ability to heal as well. People like Ananias, the one who prayed for and laid hands on Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. Paul himself mentions among the giftings of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual gifts are given. Some have the gift of healing, but it does seem to be few because even Paul says, do all receive the, the gift of healing? No, we don't. We see elsewhere in Acts that those who had the ability from the Holy Spirit to heal physical infirmities were often those whom the, whom the apostles had laid their hands on to give them or to bless them with that, with that ability. Now, it's not necessarily hard and fast. Jesus said the Spirit goes and, and does what the, what the Spirit wants to do. But we don't have the example in Scripture. We don't have the precedent of just anybody willy-nilly having the ability to heal it was the purview of the apostles and another select few. Personally, my understanding today is that, yes, the gift of healing is probably still available to some who would be so blessed. And I cannot speak with authority on who or, or how they receive that, but I can speak with authority on this. I am absolutely 100% certain that if the Holy Spirit through the providence of God, blesses somebody with the gift of healing, they would not be on TV charging people money. They would not be holding large crusades. They would not be showing off. They would not make this gift of God a spectacle. They would not be drawing attention to themselves. Peter and John says, it's not us, it's Jesus. And most of the people who are, who are proclaiming the gift of healing what is their message? Look how God has blessed me to bless you. I can say with certainty, they don't have it. But I've also heard enough stories, personally experienced some things, that God may choose to use a simple prayer, a simple laying on of hands, a simple asking Lord Jesus, take this disease from this person's body. Lord Jesus, please restore this person to health. Lord Jesus, may you be glorified as the great physician to bring your healing into this person's body in this moment for your glory according to your will. And those things happen in hospital rooms. 
Those things happen in living rooms. Those things happen, and there is no publicity. There is no publicness to it. They are private. They are small. They are simple. So that the work of God is done, and Jesus alone gets the glory. So even if we don't have the ability to heal, what do we do? We can pray. We're supposed to pray. We're even supposed to ask for healing according to the will of God. Jesus' younger half-brother wrote one of the books in the New Testaments, the, the epistle of James, the letter from James. He writes, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Because true healing starts with the healing of the sickness of sin, not the infirmities of the body. It's the illness of the soul that gets directed, that gets directed first attention from God. Physical healing is a, is a secondary byproduct because once the soul is healed, the body will eventually be healed. Maybe not this side of eternity, but it will be healed completely on the other side of eternity. But before we say, oh, that's just the, the purview of the church's elders to be able to do that, James goes on. Therefore, Confess your sins to each other. Doesn't that sound like fun? <laughs> Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's not just the power and the purview of the church's elders to, to anoint with oil and to pray to bring about healing. It is the purview of every disciple of Jesus to be praying for one another as we are affirmed and afflicted and as our bodies decay and break down. Because James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, in this age, unlike Peter, we do have silver and gold. And as Christians, we are to use our money, our material possessions, generously for helping those in need. Whether it be those who are financially oppressed whether it be those who are physically burdened with illness or with ill health. It is the privilege of the people of Jesus to come alongside them. And even if we cannot heal the physical affirmative, we cannot eradicate the disease that is coursing through their blood, we can heal them by care, comfort, compassion, camaraderie, aid, assistance, in inclusion, love, grace, mercy, kindness, tenderness, gentleness, the, the gift of presence. 
And so much healing can come from those simple things. This miracle created quite a ruckus, so to speak. There was quite a public reaction. If this man was over 40 years old and had been begging at the gate of the temple probably for 20, 25 years, maybe even longer, he became a fixture. He became known. And his face was recognizable. And all of a sudden, as Luke says, he's not just walking. He's leaping. He's jumping. He's exuberant. Wouldn't you be? He's excited. He's probably making a fool of himself. And it's quite okay because it's all good. He's excited. And as he is excited, and he's not just walking. He's not just holding on to, to, to Peter and John and, and inching his way, stumbling, struggling. These legs that have never worked, all, all, all of a sudden, they are, they are fully strengthened and fully working. He might even be able to dunk a basketball now. Not that they had those things back then. He's leaping. It's an undeniable miracle. And Peter uses that opportunity to point everyone who sees this man, everyone who was amazed, everyone who was intrigued, he points them to Jesus. And he does so in the style of a good fire and brimstone old Southern Baptist preacher from Appalachia. You people killed Jesus. You're guilty. You did it. You're wrong. You killed the author of life. It's almost an oxymoron. He lays into him, and then compassionately he says, but you were ignorant. God knew that. You see, God designed this. God planned this. God, God implemented the whole plan, which was for his son to die, so that in spite of your ignorance, in spite of your sin, in spite of your rejection, and in spite of all you've done against him, God still loves. God still gives. God still forgives. God will give you life if you repent. And it's that focus on repentance that's the core of Peter's message. You see, Jesus' death was providential. It was, it was under the hand of God, completely designed by him. But we still need to repent. And even though God is sovereign, it does not absolve us of our individual guilt. We are still culpable for our sin we are culpable of our sin, and we are capable of responding to God in repentance. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Repent for refreshment which is the release of guilt. It's the joy of forgiveness. We can, we can experience this in little ways when simply we get good news, right? Or when something good happens, like if you're, you're a sports fanatic like I am, you know, it's a tense game. It's coming down to the last minute. You're tense, you're, you're, you're anxious, your stomach's just in knots, you're, you're, you're secreting way more than you want to, and you're thinking, this is just a stupid sport. Why am I this worked up? 
But then the instant the buzzer sounds or the clock runs down and your team wins, instantaneous relief, right? <sighs> Joy, the way the world's off your shoulders. You've gone in for medical tests, which somehow under the, the, the reign of Satan over this world, medical test results take days or weeks to, to process. Doesn't happen that way on TV, but in real life it does. And so you're anxious, you're tense, the weight of the world, you're worrying, you're, you're anxious. Even with faith, you, you can be anxious and you're wondering and you're worrying about it until the doctor says, hey, good news, test came back negative. Instantaneous relief, a reinfusion of air and vitality and strength and hope and sunniness into your life. That's what repentance brings. Re repentance is when we turn away from what we're, where we were and what we we're doing and we turn to God. And when we turn to God, we, we see God for, for who he is and what he has done. Light, love, life, forgiveness, grace, mercy, kindness, goodness, patience, gentleness, loving kindness, the chesed in the Hebrew terminology the loving kindness of God. In the Greek terminology, the agape love, the selfless love of God. And that brings refreshment into our soul. Even though we're sinners, even though we've messed up, we've been given life anew by looking to Jesus. And that's what Peter says. Repent so that your sins can be taken away. Times of refreshing will come and, the, and, and God the Father will send to you the Messiah the Son, Jesus. Repentance is that key to experiencing the presence and the power of Jesus so that we are released from sin, so that we are refreshed in our spirit, so that we are re reunited with our Creator in wholeness and fullness, ready to experience eternity. I'd like to have uh, Tay and Toby come back up as we prepare for a time of communion. Communion is an act of worship, but it's also a time of, of corporate and individual repentance. Because repentance is simply turning to Jesus and looking to Jesus. And in communion, we take a small piece of bread and we take a small bit of grape juice, the fruit of the vine, to represent what Jesus did for us on the cross. Repentance is always turning our, our eyes of our, the eyes of our mind and the eyes of our heart back to what Jesus did for us on the cross. The crucifixion and the resurrection become the twin rails upon which we are to build and direct our life. So we look to Jesus.